With reverence and awe, I read to you the words of Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who is from everlasting to everlasting, who became a man for you and me, died for our transgressions, and was raised for our justification. Colossians 3, verse 15, beginning. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I have a friend. That's it. I have a friend. <laughs> and that ends the announcement portion of this lesson. No, seriously, I have a friend. And, and he's a dear friend. I've known him for almost 30 years now. He preaches over in Gwinnett County on the east side of Atlanta. And we don't get to uh, talk or text very much at all, but when we do, we like to catch up and we do the normal preacher talk. And especially if we happen to be texting or talking on a Monday, I will ask him, how did it go yesterday? Knowing, of course, that he is doing on a Sunday what I'm doing on a Sunday. And, and his response normally is, Randy, yesterday was a double blessing. I got to preach, and I got to hear me preach. <laughs> now, don't get the wrong idea. He's a very humble guy. He's just kidding. But in reality, our, our, our subject this morning is in fact a double blessing. Thanksgiving is a holiday that involves a double blessing for each of us. From a purely human standpoint, I think we all appreciate Thanksgiving because we get a couple of days off of work and we have a socially acceptable excuse to eat a lot and we get to spend some time with our families and that's a combination that's hard to beat. But from a spiritual perspective, and that's where I want us to lock in on Colossians chapter 3 this morning. Thanksgiving is a blessing because it reminds us of one of the most pleasant duties in all the Bible. And that is the command, and it is a command, to give thanks to God for all the good things we've received. If you noticed in the text that Billy just read, there's three times in three consecutive verses where Paul's reminder is that we need to be thankful. And I don't think that that's because Paul is just, you know, a hobby writer and he's locked in on that subject. I think it's that important that he knows that he needs to remind people and we need to be reminded of how important it is that we have hearts that are filled with thanksgiving for all that God has done for us. It's always a pleasant thing to count our many blessings and to name them one by one. And, 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 and in doing that, we're reminded of, of the good in our lives and, and of the God who's given to each of us so very richly. Remember James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. So it's impossible for a Christian to take a sustained inventory of all that we have to be thankful for without being moved to praise and to thank the one who gave us all those things. 
And if we're not moved to thank God, then there's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with our spiritual wiring. The Bible has not surprisingly a great deal to say about Thanksgiving. And it's the Apostle Paul who maybe more than any other individual, at least that I've been able to determine in Scripture, who returns again and again to the subjects of thankfulness and gratitude. In fact, it's a major theme of his writings. And I'm not exactly sure why Paul was so fond of the topic of thanksgiving, but I suspect that it has something to do with the circumstance of his conversion. Remember, Paul was one of those people who experienced dramatic transformation in his life. It's safe to say that he took a, a 180 turn, spiritually speaking, when he decided to become a Christian and to follow Jesus. And he was headed down the wrong road when the Bible says that, that God intervened literally on the road to Damascus. And as a result, Paul got a second chance. A chance that deep down, he knew that he did not deserve. And don't get me wrong, we, we're all sinners and, and we, none of us deserve to be saved. I, but I do believe that for some people that there's a stronger sense of how their lives could have turned out differently had they not found the Lord. And I believe that Paul was one of those fortunate Christians who never ever took his salvation for granted. Who never got over the wonder of God's marvelous grace. And consequently he was perpetually grateful for the rest of his life. And he was not reluctant to express that gratitude for what God had done for him. So for whatever the reason we do know that Paul's letters are are just punctuated with expressions of thankfulness and then exhortations to the ones to whom he's writing those letters, that they also ought to be thankful. For example, when we look at Colossians, and I hope you still have your Bible open there. If not, will you turn there again? The setting for today's text. In just four chapters, this is a very short letter. In four chapters, Paul manages to speak of thanksgiving, joy, and gratitude ten times. You do the math. In fact, he mentions the subject in every chapter in this book to the Colossians. And in chapter 1, I'll just give you a brief overview. Paul begins in verse, uh, verse 3 of chapter 1 by giving thanks for the faith and the love of the Colossian Christians. He wants them to know how grateful he is uh, for their love and for their attention to his needs. And later in chapter 12 of that same, uh, or t- verse 12 in that same chapter, he encourages each, each of them to give thanks. And then when you turn over to chapter 2, Paul describes the Christian life in verses 6 and 7 like this. So then, Paul writes, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving. Skip over to chapter 4. Paul gives one final reminder to devote yourselves to prayer, to being watchful and thankful. That's chapter 4 and verse 2. And then we move back into Colossians chapter 3, which is where we find our text. And he mentions thankfulness three times in three consecutive verses. And in each verse, he's reminding us of the benefits of thanksgiving. And and we'll see that an attitude of gratitude is is good for us. This is something that Paul is encouraging the Colossian Christians to to do and to be, the the mindset that he wants them to adopt, and and one that 2,000 years later we we still need to have in our hearts and lives as well. Paul says it's good for you for several reasons. Number one, because it makes our relationships right. Take a look at verse 15 of our text. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. Now for years, I will admit that I read that verse without 
really comprehending the significance of those last three words and be thankful. I thought that they maybe were just kind of tacked on, you know, added for good measure, like when a recipe calls for a pinch of salt, you know, you just kind of throw that in there. I didn't understand the connection between thankfulness and Paul's subject in Colossians 3, but look at the context. In verses 12 through 14, what's Paul talking about there? He's talking about relationships. And then when you look at the first part of verse 15, he talks about the peace of Christ in your hearts. That's individual gratitude. The peace that results from an attitude of gratitude in the heart of the individual Christian. The latter part of verse 15, members of one body is the expression that Paul uses. That's congregational harmony that he's talking about there. And then when I, when I read all of those verses and kind of got the overview, I felt like the guy who went to a park one day when a fellow threw a frisbee in his direction. And he said, I wondered to myself, why does a frisbee look larger as it gets closer to me? And then it hit me. (laughs) And I have to tell you that one day it hit me. Paul says, and be thankful because an attitude of gratitude will create a, a spirit of harmony and peace among God's people. I don't know that you've ever made that connection in your own mind, but I'm asking you to this morning. Paul says there is a connection between how well we get along with one another and our attitudes of gratitude. Whether or not we're really thankful people, and the more thankful we are, the more we're going to get along. more harmony there's going to be among God's people. So if I have peace within me, then I can experience, Paul says, harmony with others. There is a direct connection. And the contraposition, sadly, is also true. If I don't have peace within me, I'm probably not going to be at peace with others. There isn't going to be a great deal of harmony. It's been said that hurting people hurt other people, and and we need to remember that. Thankfulness, sincere gratitude, helps me to be content and to be at peace. And that, in turn, enables me to be able to get along with others. James said something about that in the fourth chapter of his book, verse 1. He says, where where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come, watch this, from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? See, uh, when, when nations war against other nations, it all started somewhere in an individual heart. And then that, it began to catch fire. It got contagious. And, and other people had that same desire for pleasure that war in our members. So there was an internal war before there was ever an external war. How does that work in reality when the rubber hits the road? Well, a grateful person is going to be a positive person. And a positive person is not looking for a fight. A positive person who's always focusing on what he has to be grateful for is not somebody that's going to be quarrelsome and contentious. Ungrateful people, on the other hand, are going to always be dissatisfied with themselves. They're always going to be unhappy with others, and they will cause resentment and conflict wherever they go. It has been said of this type person, they do not play well with others. And Paul is explaining to us spiritually why that is the case. Let me illustrate it this way. To, to, to show to you, I, I think we're all in tacit agreement that there's some people who are just never content and happy with the circumstances that they're in. But uh, there was a fellow that I heard about that, that at a, a post office counter who was approached by an elderly man who, who asked for his help. And he said, young man, I can't see very well. Uh, could you address this postcard for me? And he said, yes, sir, I'd be glad to. 
And while you're at it, would you put a stamp on it? Well, sure, no problem. And one other thing, would you write out my message on the back? Now, don't get ahead of me. He said, would you write out my message on the back? And so the man gladly wrote down the message that the older man had dictated. And then the man said, would you, would you sign my name? And the man dutifully signed the older man's name, held the card up and said, now, is there anything else I can do for you? The old fellow looked at the card, he thought for a moment, and then he said, yes. Would you put at the bottom, P.S., please excuse the sloppy handwriting? (laughs) Some folks are just not satisfied with anything. Nothing makes them happy. They're not grateful for the kindnesses of others. Look at it this way. Who would you rather associate with? Someone who's always grumbling and complaining or somebody who's always optimistic and cheerful? I think I know the answer to that. People who routinely are reciting constantly their burdens in life, who will go around singing, you know, the first and last verses of nobody knows the trouble I've seen, are people who don't typically attract a lot of friends. But people who continually count their blessings are always surrounded by people who both enjoy and appreciate their company. Isn't that pretty much a universal rule of life? When people go to a pet store to buy a bird, Usually they're looking for a songbird, you know, a parakeet or a cockatiel or a finch, or I'm, I, I hope all, all of those are birds that sing, but I've I never heard of anybody going to a pet store and saying, I, I'd like to have a buzzard. It, it just doesn't happen. Nobody wants to be around a person who is always looking for the rotten things in life. So an ungrateful person, Paul says, is never at peace, not with himself and not with others. One concrete reason why we ought to really focus in our hearts and lives on being more grateful people is because it will improve our relationships with everybody around us. And I'm not just talking about our brothers and sisters and the family of God. I'm talking about everywhere in life. Now, I know that there's some people that it's just impossible to get along with, but, but don't let it be our fault. Let's be grateful people. Let that enhance our relationships with others. Let people be drawn to us and attracted to us and and want to know more about our Savior because of our, our attitude of gratitude that we demonstrate toward life. So the first genuine thing about gratitude is that it makes our relationships right, Paul says in this text. It keeps us from being sour and bitter and hard to get along with grumblers. And Paul says that's the last thing you want to do. So let peace The peace of Christ rule in your hearts, the text says, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Here's the second thing that being thankful will help to develop and cultivate in our lives. It makes our attitudes attractive. Listen to verse 16, or better yet, look at it in your own Bible. Let the word, usually this is a passage that we talk about as a proof text for congregational singing. And it, and it works because that's essentially what it's about. But, but listen to what he says and notice all the words this time and not just the ones that lock in on our singing. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. By the way, isn't that, yeah, you knew I was going to stop and preach, didn't you? Uh, isn't that where a worshipful heart stop, starts? Letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If we're not doing that the other six days of the week, what we do here on Sunday is probably not going to mean a great deal to us. So we need to make sure that every day of the week, we're letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And teach and admonish, he says, one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Watch this. You knew it was coming. With gratitude in your hearts to God. 
So when we come here and sing even collectively, corporately as the church, we need to be doing that with hearts that are absolutely filled with gratitude. Because if I've read the dictionaries and I've read the Bible correctly, that's what worship is. It's an opportunity to express our deep appreciation for all that God has done for us. Now note first, if you will, in this text, it is implied in this passage that we can choose that attitude. We can choose to let, notice that, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then we have the ability to determine what we're going to think about once we have done that. What we're going to focus on. What we're going to dwell on in life. Is it the worldly things? Is it the sinful things? Are we always going to be looking back at our past life before we became a Christian and say, man, I sure had a good time back in those? No. Are we going to focus on the blessing of being a child of God in the moment that we're in right now? And if we can do that, then worship will be a thousand times more meaningful to us, but we'll also have this this gratitude that Paul is talking about in the text. Look back at verses 1 and 2 of this same chapter. Colossians 3 is where we still are. Since then, Paul opens this chapter by saying, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. We talked about that just a few weeks ago and really isolated and developed that passage. But I I heard about a guy up in Virginia who has an unusual radio in in his office. And it was one that he received from a local radio station as a part of an advertising campaign that they were doing at the time. So anyway, he won a radio and he still has it in his office and it was free. But there was a catch. It only got one station. The station, of course, that gave him the radio. What I'm telling you is that radio had only one setting and one station. And maybe you've noticed how people can go through life with basically the same problem. They're only tuned in to the trials and the troubles that come their way. That's all they let themselves focus on. I'm just here this morning to announce this. Thank God we can have more than one setting. Amen? And, how, and we can choose what, that, what setting that will be. Everybody is fighting a battle. Everybody has problems. It is how we respond to those problems and those circumstances that determines our usefulness in the kingdom of Christ. And also our ability, as we talked about a moment ago, to get along with other folks. If our hearts are filled with gratitude for all that God has done for us, it's going to make every day brighter And it will make our lives better. Paul said that difficulties will come even into the lives of God's people. But we can choose to set our minds on things above. And we can deliberately choose to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Also note that that we can choose an attitude of gratitude. You see, thankful people have a healthier outlook on life. Uh, Scientists, medical scientists in particular, have proven that to be true. Because gratitude causes us to, to, to focus on our blessings. And we're not always going around navel-gazing and, and focused on our burdens. We, you know, we're not, we're not always, do, have, we don't have a bad case of the woe is me. Without a sense of gratitude that Paul is encouraging each of us to have, we can never, we can never ever experience the true blessing of real contentment. We're always going to want more. We're always going to focus on what we don't have. And, and, and the blessings that, that are not a part of our, that, that will be our focus if we don't do exactly what Paul has said here. I read about some friends who were 
planning a shopping trip with their little four-year-old daughter. It so happened that she had uh, recently had a birthday, and so she had some birthday money that she wanted to spend when they went shopping. And so these were good Christian parents, and, and they were wanting to use this as an opportunity to teach her a lesson in priorities and perspective. And so on the way over to the mall, they told their daughter, now we don't need to buy everything we see. We need to be thankful for what we already have. You know what her response was? She said, when I have everything I want, then I'll be thankful for what I have. That's the kind of logic that you would expect from a four-year-old. Well, let me tell you what you already know. There's some 40-year-olds who have that same attitude, and they are absolutely miserable. If all we do is focus on what we don't have, When we have an attitude of sincere gratitude, on the other hand, when we choose to focus on what we do have, not what we don't have, and be thankful for God's goodness in our lives, it will sure improve our perspective on life. Gratitude is the attitude that makes life enjoyable. And the third and final reason thankfulness is good for us is because it makes life lovely. Look at verse 17. And whatever you do, by the way, this is a passage that we often use talking about the authority issue that we need to have the authority of God's word for everything that we do in life and everything that we teach, and that's correct as well. But I believe it can be broader than that. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you've been keeping count, this is the third verse in a row in where Paul commends thankfulness. Do Do you think that just maybe Paul is trying to tell us something? In case you haven't gotten the message by now, in this verse he makes it unmistakably clear that we can all have the attitude of gratitude. And what a comprehensive command this is. Look again at verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, Paul says, do all. God's word is emphatically telling us that Thanksgiving is not just a holiday. It is not just something that we do once a year. For a child of God, thankfulness is a way of life. Are you, are you hearing me, church? Thankfulness ought to be a way of life for every one of us. In fact, we could say that it's more than thanksgiving. It is, in fact, thanks living. So no matter what life throws at us, we can choose to be positive. We can choose to be grateful. And we can choose to focus on our blessings. Which reminds me of one other passage written by Paul. And then I'll wind this up. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. You know the passage. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. And again, I say rejoice. That's verse 4. And then he says, do not be anxious about anything. This is verses 6 and 7. But in everything, by prayer and petition, here it is, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think it's interesting there that he also included that with thanksgiving. So first, let's appreciate that as children of a gracious father, we know that in difficult situations we can ask for help and we can be confident that our Lord is willing and that he is able to give us the help that we need in whatever the circumstance might be, that he is willing to answer our prayers. But let's never forget how we are to make those requests. Paul says, with thanksgiving. Don't ever ask God for anything without also thanking him for something. Why is that? Could it be that whining, demanding, self-pitying people are tiresome even to God? 
Self-centered prayers that read more like wish lists, they must weary the very heart of God. Because he knows that blessing ungrateful people is a waste of time. They will always find something else to grumble about. In one part of the country of Mexico, because of a geothermal quirk deep underground, there is a hot spring and a cold spring that uh, can be found bubbling up side by side. Well, many, many years ago, the women of a nearby village realized that that is a perfect place to do the laundry. And so in the hot springs, they can wash their laundry, and then they rinse it out in the cold springs. Well, a tourist that was watching that procedure one day said, remarked to his Mexican friend, I guess they think Mother Nature is pretty gracious. And he said, oh, no, sir, they complain because she gives no soap. (laughs) If we're not careful, that's where we'll be. We'll be ungrateful because of the one thing that we don't have rather than the two things we do have. And God wants to rescue us from the poison of that kind of pettiness. So he commands us. Notice here, it is a requirement. It is not a request to be thankful. And in part, that is for our benefit. So when you think of it this way, it's just another reminder of how how good God really is. We can even be thankful when he commands us to be thankful because an attitude of gratitude is, folks, is what makes life bearable and it can even make life lovely. This is the time of the year when we are reminded of our blessings. In case uh, you had not made that connection with that date circled on your calendar, I do remind you that this is where we spend some time really locking in on enumerating and counting our many blessings. I know that there's some families that have that kind of as a, as a custom, that when they sit down for their Thanksgiving meal, they go around the table and everybody says one thing that they're, they're thankful for. You, of course, that brings me to the, you heard the, about the little boy who couldn't think of anything to be thankful. It had been a hard year. So when it came his turn, he said, I'm thankful that I'm not the turkey. And so, uh, so there's always something to be thankful for. But I'm telling you, in our text that we've looked at today, it teaches us that for children of God, Thanksgiving is more than just a a one-day-a-year holiday. It's a way of life. It is, if you will, in reality, thanksgiving. And this morning we've been reminded why an attitude of gratitude is so good for us. Number one, Paul says, because it makes our relationships right. And secondly, because it makes our attitudes attractive. And third, because it makes life lovely. Several years ago, a fellow by the name of Keith Obraski from Fridley, Minnesota, went just before Thanksgiving Day to an ATM to get some cash. He wanted $20. Well, instead, the machine, I'm not making this up, the machine spit out $5,580. The young man who works as a ceiling sprayer said, I felt like I'd won the lottery. I just kept scooping it up. I, I, I think that's a parable of my life and yours. All of us have received so much more than we ever expected more than we ever deserved, and more than we ever earned. By the way, Obraski did the honest thing and he gave the money back. But God, on the other hand, does not require us to return all of his rich bounty just a part. All he asks for in response to the way that he has blessed us so richly is one thing. Grateful heart. I wonder this morning, are you able to honestly and sincerely say, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift? That's what Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Of course, context demands he was talking about his salvation there. 
There are people in this audience this morning who, who don't know that salvation. They don't know the gratitude that can come and, and, and what it means to be forgiven by a gracious and loving God. And we can help you this morning. If you need to render that initial obedience to the gospel call and, and repent of all your past sins, confess Jesus as God's son and be baptized to have all of those sins and mistakes washed away this morning in his blood, then we're here to help you do just that while we stand and sing this song. Who will follow?